All right. So, hey, guys, this isn't Tracy. This is actually her best friend, Girdley. And because me and that crazy girl have been through, like, uh, 10 years of adventures, I thought I'd hit y'all with a disclaimer of sorts. First and lastly, do know that whatever the hell Tracy shares in this podcast comes from her very own treasure chest of magic, logic, and good intentions. She's definitely not a therapist alternative, but she does believe it's inhumane to withhold what feels like gangster insight. My girl's not for everyone, but she just might be for you. She's beauty in the What it do, yo? You're listening to the She's Beauty and the Beast podcast, season one, episode eight, where I am in conversation with a woman who reminds me on the daily that the internet can be a soulful place. All fact, no fiction. I'm talking about Jessica Dore. She is a licensed social worker and most notably a celebrated tarot practitioner and writer. In her words, she's, quote, interested in using tarot cards to help people understand the interplay between internal and external life and to behave flexibly and in alignment with what is most precious. Now, in my words, she is a psychology slash mysticism appreciator's wet dream. Boom. We talk about why Tyrell has had such a profound comeback during modern day times. We talk about her very unique morning routine, what the energy of lust, anger and grief have taught her and so much more. Jess has completely delighted my heart and stretched my brain. And you need to come and get you some of that. Um, Well, first of all. Once again, I have no problem saying it twice, three times. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me so I can explore your brain, explore your heart, because my appreciation for you is bottomless, sincerely. So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) So um, altruism is a word I feel like you really embody. And I say Mm. that because of the, I say that because of the quality and the quantity of your work that is shared with us uh, free of charge. (laughs) And and nothing, nothing you share on social has ever come across as like a platitude post, you know, for the sake of being besties with, the algorithm (laughs) and from the work that I read or even when you're just sharing um, notes from your journal uh, I feel like you think very highly and very lovingly of your readers um, and you serve as this tour guide for us back and forth along the bridge of psychotherapy and tarot and plus you have your master's in social work and I just I have an affinity for those who are in that lane because I feel like people in social work are just more angel than devil to me anyway (laughs) (laughs) so thank you and I also started thinking what I wanted to see how to um it just, you know, enter your brain and your heart and the beginning of when you became curious about this work. It reminded me, I'm a Scorpio, so I'm very organically a deep sea diver. And when I was younger, um, like going back to elementary school, I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of where I would just do these little like immature psychoanalyses of everyone that came across my eyes. <laughs> like I just looked at, okay, what what's in front of me? What are the actions that are on display? And then in my notebook, I would try to make sense, right? And come up with these equations. Um, and so it made me curious for you of when you first became interested in what lies beneath, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I've always been I've always been curious. It's hard to put to put a, a finger on when. I think I really started getting interested um, just through my own. This may sound a little bit self absorbed, but I think just through my own struggles. You know, like yeah. I, I've always been like I, 
I'm a, I have an Aquarius ascendant and also Aquarius moon. And, and I, I think Aqu- people, Aquarian people tend to get the reputation as being kind of detached, but I actually think that it's that uh, a lot of us are extremely sensitive people that sort of learn to intellectualize about our internal experiences mm-hmm. as a way to cope with them. Uh, so I think that that's really what I ended up doing and just feeling things very intensely and, and having to figure out a way to cope with things that I was experiencing. And, and then, yeah, it turns to, um, you know, later on, I started working in self-help book publishing and psychology book publishing and, and just became completely obsessed, you know, and started to have more words and language for some of the things that. I was seeing and experiencing. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up practicing a particular faith at all? Uh, I was raised in a, a an Italian and Irish Catholic home outside of Boston, um, which is very like classic sort of Boston um, uh, mix. Um, and yeah, and we went to church. Um, not very, you know. I think I. I've been kind of coming back into Christianity a little bit uh, or just kind of dipping my toes back in, in, in recent years. But mm-hmm. um, I think part of that is I didn't grow up in a very, you know, my family was not very strictly religious. And so I had a lot of freedom with it. And so I, I feel a lot of freedom around how to engage with it now. Whereas I find that there's a lot of, a lot of people have a lot of stuff around religion and spirituality. A lot of people that I work with hesitate to, um, even to use the word God or to to pray or to do something that maybe they have associations with that are challenging for, right. for one reason or yeah uh huh yeah that's really interesting I think for myself I went to Catholic school um, basically my entire well I'll say for the first part my formative years elementary school middle school um, high school I went to Catholic school and. It definitely sparked my inner um, rebel. Personally, at the time, I felt very muted, like in my expression just with my wardrobe. Although definitely now, you know, in hindsight, you connect the dots looking backwards. So now I see the benefits wearing a uniform can provide, especially if you're a young woman who feels really pressured to look a certain way to uh, impress boys or whatever. But at the time, I felt limited in how I could express myself in my wardrobe, which was very important to me when I was younger. Um, and then I also felt limited in my curiosity, you know, like, like certain questions were just shelved by my teachers, like, nah, let's stuff that in a drawer. And here's the pile of questions you can choose from, you know? So I think for a lot of people, that's kind of what causes you to reroute and start, start exploring different directions. Um, and like you, I guess, because. I consider myself to be spiritually multilingual. I was like, all right, let me go back and understand this because I think there's something beautiful in whatever inspires people to just be better, you know? And that's what I mm-hmm. always want yeah. to study. Did your parents also introduce you to journaling? Yeah. Like what made you want to write things down? You know what? I have no idea. I remember the first journal that I had. I know exactly what it looked like. I don't know if I picked it out or if somebody gave it to me as a gift. I just was always obsessed with words. I loved mm-hmm. reading, writing, um, and I'm still that way. And I think it goes back to that kind of thing of, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, depending on the family that you grew up in, I know for me and my family, um, I just didn't have uh I wasn't given um, like coping skills or like emotion regulation skills um, right off <laughs> right off the bat, and so I think always for me words were a coping strategy. You know, language, reading, writing—that was just how I made sense of things. You know, and uh, so yeah, I don't know whether they. I think they encur- they saw that I was into it, and they. I was very fortunate that they encouraged me. You know, I was having a conversation with my mom recently about that, and just kind of that. I think I. I was sort of um, told like, oh, you're, you, you're, you have gifts in this area. And I, I wonder sometimes what, 
if I would feel mm-hmm. as sort of like courageous with the work that I do and, and the writing that I do and that I share, if it weren't for the fact that I had been sort of, you know, that seed was planted. Like I was told early on, oh, you're good at this. You know what I mean? And that how powerful that was. Like if, what if, what if they had told me I was good at something else? You know, would I, would I be a writer? Would I be writing as much as I do? Would I have the confidence to do that? Hmm. That's really interesting because that lends itself to the question of the work that you're doing. Do you feel like it's a product of nurture or is it nature? Is it a part of your destiny or is <laughs> yeah. it just, you know, happenstance? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think it's both as, you know, like most things are. Um, it's a combination of, you know, if you look at my natal chart, I don't really know that much about astrology. I don't let my you know, bringing up my ascendant and moon, like fool you. I, I actually am not very well versed in astrology, but I've had my chart read a few times. And um, yeah, I mean, I think just the way that I am, uh, I am a very verbal, very sort of intellectual, cognitive, cerebral person. So I engage with the world through my head first and foremost um, <laughs> and my mind, the intellectual mind. And um And then, yeah. And then it's also that that was nurtured and that that was encouraged. And I was told that that was something that I could do and that um, I I would be successful in if I did. But I I loved writing, too, you know, so it's a combination of things. And um, that just kept me, you know, it's funny because I I the way that I write for social media or the way that I write, even I'm writing a book right now. and, And the way that I write with the book is like it's kind of stream of consciousness. And it, it's kind of just like, I write things, you know, in my Instagram posts, I, I write them, you know, in the app. Like I write, it takes me about five minutes. I write something and then I post it. I don't, I don't. Wow, Jess, <laughs> go ahead and just, just show off. Wow. <laughs> I do go back and make edits. I do make edits usually. Like I post it, but just to kind of, I have to get it out. You know, like I have to just, if I spend too long on something, it starts to feel contrived. It starts to feel... Like I'm trying too hard, which I hate that. So mm. um, I have to, but that that ability to do that, I think it comes from, mm-hmm. I journal every day. You know, I, I journal for 45 minutes to an hour every morning. I've been doing that for years. So it's like, I just, I write about nothing sometimes, total nonsense and other times there's good stuff, but it's like, it's just practicing keeping the channel clear and knowing how to move things through it and then when it comes time to do something in public it just flows easier which has been interesting to see wow amen yeah y'all i was reading that in um in your feature in the new york times and how you wake up at 5 a.m and just journal for about 45 minutes and I'll do journaling as well, but I'm like a part-time lover girl. It is not no dedicated 45 minutes, okay, <laughs> every day. But hearing and, I don't know, I'll just look at it. I treat it as a brain dump, which is definitely beneficial. But hearing you look at it as, nah, let me practice. Let me use this as an exercise of clearing my channel. Let me use this as an exercise mm-hmm. so I can hear more clearly what spirit or god or just uh general energy to things that are not of the tangible world is kind of what i'm feeling from what you're saying like you hear those louder yeah yeah i mean i think i didn't see it i didn't understand i think a lot of times and a lot of the things that i've done in my life and i think a lot of people have this experience you do things and you don't really know why you're doing it i didn't know why i journaled for you know i i journaled Mm. for years just because I wanted to. I wasn't a professional writer. I worked in book publishing, but I wasn't I wasn't producing my own writing or publishing my own writing at that time and I did that for years and and um but I journaled every day, you know, and um and I think part of it was just that I was I have to have coffee before I have a yoga practice that it's a daily, you know, 6 day a week practice and I have to have coffee before I start. Um and so I think it was like, oh, well, I'm having my coffee. Let me let me journal. It only, it kind of just turned out that that practice has served me well. Now that I, I use writing to share my ideas, it's just like, oh, it's great that I've been, so I, yes, what you're saying, yes, but also like, I don't think it was an intentional, like, it's not like a discipline thing, like, oh, I'm going to do this so that I can get this, you know, toned or whatever. It was more just like, it just was the right thing to do. It felt like the right thing to do. And then as it turned out later, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm glad I was doing that all those years. Cause I think it has really helped. It has really helped my ability to, to share messages 
um, in this particular form. Yeah. So when you wake up at 5 a.m., you just you just never feel the heat of your iPhone trying to seduce you to take a swipe on Instagram like the rest of your fellow mortals. I do. I do. And it's it's bad. Like I it's bad. But you know what it is? It's like I get up at five. I've been getting up a little bit earlier and than that. And um, the phone, actually, it's terrible that the first thing that I do when I wake up, when I open my eyes is like, oh, let me go on, go on Instagram or go on, you know, I didn't even look at my email, which is which I should not do. But it actually gets me up and out of bed. Like the, the, the light on the screen, it's disruptive to the mm-hmm. sleep time mode. And so it's like, it just gets me up. I look at it and I, I try to just come to a place of acceptance of it. Like I'm not going to beat myself up for the fact that I look at my phone. In <laughs> yeah, the morning, facts. But I do sometimes I'm like, oh, this is not what I should be. This is not what I should be doing. <laughs> but right. Oh, so yes. I, I Yes, it does seduce me. And I give in every morning. <laughs> Yay. She is human. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure your blood is red. That's all. <laughs> That's good. Your journaling yeah. serves as like a reset. You get to um shower off all that fucking Instagram shit. Nice. You know what? <laughs> I'm also interested in um in the yoga that you do, Ashtanga yoga. Um, and you know, yeah. this is a bit self-serving too, because I am in the midst of doing my yoga teacher training and I'm unfamiliar yeah. with Ashtanga. So if you don't mind briefly sharing, what is that about? Yeah, so um Ashtanga is uh well if you practice it in a traditional style, it's um it's called Mysore style and it originates in a city, a, the city of Mysore in South India. And a uh, 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 guy named Patabi Joyce, who was the teacher of it. Um, and um, it is traditionally taught in a silent room. Um, so there's no teacher in the front of the room and people are doing, you basically, you go in and you, you do your own thing. Uh, everybody, there's a sequence of poses that everyone learns. It's called the primary series. Um, and so it's the same set. And you learn it when you go in, you learn it, but you learn it at your own pace. You, you, there is a teacher and the teacher will give you new poses as you're ready for them. Um, and then once you've moved through primary series, then there's a second series called intermediate series. There's a third, fourth, fifth. I think there are six series in total. Um, but I've been practicing nine years. I'm in, I'm in the second series. So it, it, and also, you know, it's really depends on what your body is and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, what I love about it is that it's done in silence and it's self-led. So um, that immediately resonated with me when I went to my first class and the teacher was like, "Okay, you know, I'm going to teach you some poses, and then you're gonna you're gonna practice them on your own." Um, because to me, that meant, oh, "Okay, well, on days when I can't make it to the, I didn't have a car that back then. I rode my bike everywhere, and I lived in uh, in the Bay Area where it would rain a lot and stuff." and uh, I was like, oh, great. So if it rains and, you know, I can practice at home. I felt like I had over the practice, you know, and that's been something that I just love. And now I can't imagine, um, I can't I really imagine like, you know, I don't go to other classes cause I practice six days a week and it's a long, it's two or three hours a day. Well, my practice at this point is, um, it fluctuates, but, mm-hmm. um, wow. I almost can't imagine like being in a room where someone's talking. Wow. Like it's, it's distracting. Like if I go to a, a yoga wow. class where there's a teacher in the, in the room, uh-huh. um, you know, like calling out the poses and stuff, it, it, it's kind of distracting, you know, cause I kind of just want to go in there and do my own meditation. And that's, so that's, that's what Ashtanga is in a nutshell. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. See all of this that, as I'm following this thread of your life thus far, um, I'm just seeing how you're connected to your um, inner guide, you know? But at the same time, like, you are a great student because, um, I mean, you did well in school. <laughs> you were able to thrive when you were um, working for uh, the book publisher, New Harbinger, right? Yeah, New Harbinger. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so I know that with school, with um, studying psycho um, therapy, but then also um, the behavioral therapy books that and the psychology books, all of the things for the mental health professionals when you're with the book publisher as a publicist. And so that's where you learned how to make a lot of what may appear to the public to be like dense concepts. You learned how to make them more digestible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you love most about science and what do you love most about mysticism 
<laughs> oh gosh, I'm gonna try <laughs> to not go nuts on this question because this has like been my total. I'm in Berkeley right now. I'm like living in this like I call it the treehouse, but it's 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 a it's an apartment, but it's like surrounded by trees. And I'm out here basically, you know, writing a book and. Uh, and I've been engaging this question a lot because I am writing a book. My aim with the book is to, 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 I've been saying, you know, bridging science and mysticism, um, which, you know, the kind of the difference is like science is engaging with, uh, like the physical world and kind of, you know, observing what's going on, finding evidence, and then sort of lifting that evidence up to become, you know, like a principle or a law or a theory um, and that, you know, we'll sort of make these concepts that we can then use to create interventions in, in the behavioral science field. Um, and then mysticism is rather than looking down to sort of to the earth, mysticism is looking up. This is where, you know, we're, we're looking up for answers. Yes. <laughs> talk that talk, Jess. Carry on. Yeah. And it's actually, there's a lot there about, you know, when you think about the practice of yoga, that breathing the divine breath you know on the inhale you lift up on the exhale you come down it's it's a one is not one is not better than the other one is not it it's they are they are you know i think what i love about science is um it's like <laughs> i don't know what i love about science that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> Like, what do I, I think I just never thought about it. I just, I think it's interesting to observe patterns, you know, in the physical realm and to use what you observe to help people. That's mm -hmm. cool. That's what science does, you know, in, in the behavioral science field, at least that's what we're looking at. Like what helps people change and, and how do people change and how do people live well and um, things like that. That stuff is awesome. It's really helpful. Um, and then mysticism, I, I don't know I, what's not to love. Like it's God and magic and, uh, receiving, uh, it's a little less sort of, I think science is sort of exerting will to sort of figure something out. And mysticism is a little bit less of that sort of a little more on the receiving on the listening side. Um, there's, both are fundamentally curious, both are asking questions and, and, and seeking answers, but uh, it's done in a different way. I, I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> there's so much. <laughs> but but I, I really love how you, you've summed it up with um, science being about learning um, about like what's beneath, so to say, yeah. and that just being like, the physical aspects of things and mysticism just being like what's above and when you think about just looking above um your eye can only go so far like we yeah. can't generally like see past the clouds with just our eye you you need a telescope to assist with that and then even from what you can see from a telescope is limited as well yeah <laughs> and when you and when you see space you can't help it like as a human as an earthling that's when your brain just starts to go really bonkers with all of the theories and all of the queries so i totally totally get it yeah i'm wondering which one comes easier for you as far as learning is there one or are they kind of the equal? Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting because, you know, there's a, I've been studying um, this thing on kind of like the different processes because I'm, I'm really trying to understand what is the difference between these two things? Where do they overlap? Um, science, the scientific method, you know, right. It's like you observe something, you come up with a hypothesis, you test it, you do an experiment, you write up the results, like all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then with mm -hmm. mysticism, the process is a little bit different. You have a raw experience. You you have a mystical experience that you know of God or of something like, you know, like I don't know what what the words are for it. If you've had a mystical experience, you know what I mean. You know, uh, and then the next phase is understanding. You start to understand what you experienced, and then the next phase is is magic. You start to do things with what you start to what magic is is 
influencing the the dense with the subtle. So taking understanding, taking experience, these are like energetic things and using them to change your physical reality. That's what mm-hmm. magic is. Um, and then the last, the last phase of, of like mystic revelation, I guess you could say is um, in learning is like uh, philosophy. This is where you start to put words together about it. Maybe you write a book or you write something on Instagram or you talk about it in a podcast or whatever it is. Um, that process is something that I think I've been doing for a long time, primarily through my yoga practice, um, having a mystical experience, that raw experience of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's what yoga is. Um, Amen. Union with God. It's it, first and foremost, if we are honoring what yoga is, that's what it is. For. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been doing it for a long time, but I don't think I understood what I was doing. So maybe I'm in the understanding phase. Maybe I'm moving into the magic phase. Um, so it's an interesting question, which comes easier. I'm not sure. I think our, I think um, we live in a culture, I think currently that's very science fo- focused. I mean, co- being in the social work field or the mental health field, like, and, and you're, you know, as a, as a person in the health industry, you understand like the obsession with evidence-based practices, you know, and, and we want mm-hmm. things to be empirically supported and there's good reason for that. Um, but also like, <laughs> there's a lot that's true that isn't, isn't, um, that isn't something you can test with a scientific experiment. And so, yeah, I don't know. Such as what? what's what is god for for starters i mean what is god um i can't think of a scientific experiment that you can do to answer that question Mm -hmm. um it's something that has to be god has to be experienced firsthand Mm -hmm. um actually you know in that 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 process that i just went through of like mystic revelation starting with raw experience then understanding then practice and magic and then lastly philosophy that illustrates how if we just try to sort of start with the philosophy, you tell somebody, oh yeah, God, like you were talking about in school, that it's like, no, this is what the, this is what the answer is. That's it. You don't need to have an understanding. You don't need to have a raw experience. You don't need to understand how to use any of this stuff. You just need to listen to the, the philosophy. When you do that, it doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to... <laughs> No, 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 no. Trust me. I I can handle this. And everyone who listens to this podcast is like ready. We have our scuba suits on. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just that. But, you know, how do we, how do we, I I mean, also, you know, like the whole idea of evidence-based practice is interesting because, you know, you have to kind of understand what they mean by evidence-based. They mean it has to be, proven through the scientific method. Well, what about, I mean, what about a, a, a healing tradition that's been passed down through generations and generations, but nobody ever did a scientific study on it. But I would say passing something that's been passed down from generation to generation, that's evidence enough for me that it serves a purpose. Why would it be passed down if not? But that doesn't count as mm. evidence to, you know, the Western model of science. And so I think, yeah, a lot of energy work, um there's just a lot of things that can't be can't be proven through the scientific method and and that's okay i think we can take what can be and we can learn from it and we can also acknowledge and honor that there are other ways of knowing too yeah yeah absolutely thank you for that breakdown um i'm wondering what has been your most recent experience of mysticism with magic i know outside of yoga Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i've been spending a lot of time in nature yeah Um, i peeped with your your tree post spoke (laughs) so loudly to me oh really the one about yeah which one how it reminds you um, about the importance of being rooted, but then also um, the significance of um, going higher, reaching higher for the energy above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, a my yoga teacher here actually told me um, to. I was doing like some backbend, drop back things, and uh, 
he was like, yeah, told me, he's like, I want you to go and stand, find a redwood tree and go stand by it so that you can learn the energy of rooting into the ground and then drawing that energy up. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. And I did. And I was like, wow. And I've been doing it. I've been trying to do it as often as possible. Experiences like that. I mean, that's raw experience of like something that um, it's not visible. It's not something that you can take a picture of. It's not something that science can measure to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mysterious. It's mystic. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, I think nature is, has been, you know, I think me being out here in, in the Bay area where like there's such easy access to nature and it's, it's pretty nice weather a lot of the time. So you can get outside a lot and yeah, nature is, is a good way to experience, um, God, um, mm-hmm. which I think is very tied in with my understanding of what mysticism is. Yes, yes, yes. All yes, everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're finally going to make our way into tarot. Right, right. But tarot does not forget about you. So share with me, share with us um, how that relationship with you and these, these beautiful deck of cards, which are way more than just a deck of cards, but how was that sparked? Um, well, my mom had a deck when I was growing up. And so I, the deck that I use, the the pictures that I usually post on social media are generally the Rider Waite deck with the illustrations by Pamela Coleman Smith. And my mom had that deck when I was growing up and she wasn't like seriously into it, but she would, you know, she would pull cards for fun and stuff every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't really into it then. I guess maybe I kind of thought it was cool, but really wasn't that into it. And then um, later when I was working at New Harbinger, I had some friends over who were um, coworkers at New Harbinger and they were like, oh, let's do some tarot. One of them was like really into tarot cards. And so she brought them and, and was reading cards for people. And I was totally blown away. Like she pulled cards for me. I was completely blown away by the message. And I was like, wow, I need to get some of these. And mm-hmm. so I did, I, this is probably, it was probably like 2011 or so, you know, it wasn't like that long ago. I haven't, mean, it's not like, you know, some people who are reading cards or have been reading since they were very young. Like I wasn't doing it when I was younger. Um, yeah. And I just, I started pulling a card every morning and every evening as just part of my own little like self-care practice way to check in with myself, which was something that I was learning how to do. I mm-hmm. didn't know how to do that. Um, and it just, I felt so comforted by the cards, um, Mm -hmm. immediately. And, and if nothing else, like that was meant everything to me, you know, I felt less alone. I felt seen, I felt like, you know, I would see something in a card that made me feel like, okay, I'm not the only one that's having this experience because, here it is in this deck of cards. Like when you read a book that, you know, there's a character in the book that's going through something that you have gone through and you're like, Oh, you feel relieved and seen. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was how I got into it and (laughs) been doing it. And then, uh, yeah. And then obviously you saw such a, a clear tie back into um, psychology and how it can help with mental Mm -hmm. health, uh, especially because so many people, can learn learn most easily through um, metaphors and imagery and the analogies and the storytelling that's within a card. You know, I think yeah. it can it can make a lesson uh, that much more stickier. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. I think I think the reason that the the I, I think the reason that the cards like on Twitter have done so well the daily, you know, I pull the card every day on Twitter mm-hmm. and post it. I've been doing that for about three years. And um, I think the reason they do so well is that, yeah, it's a, there's a, it's a, it's a little like piece of like advice. A lot of times it's kind of advice ish. Um, but it like comes in this like really unlikely vehicle, like, Oh, a tarot card. Like you see a tarot card and you think you're about to get a tarot reading. Like someone's going to tell you the future, but instead you get like a little dose of, like advice or some like little idea that you weren't expecting. 
And um, I, there's really, there's a lot, um, you know, if you study like psychotherapy, there's, there's a lot out there about kind of the element of surprise in healing work where you, you come at somebody from an angle that they're not expecting to kind of get something to get through to them in a new way that otherwise their defenses kind of wouldn't, you know, like if I buy a self-help book, my defenses are already up going into it, whether I know it or not. Like I'm already, I, I think I know what I know and I'm, you know, I'm kind of in my own stuff or whatever, even though I've bought the book and I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn what it has to tell me. But when somebody like delivers you a piece of information in a way that you're not expecting at a time when you're not expecting, like when you log on to Twitter, mm-hmm. it, like it hits you a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I think I think shock is a is a great um, form of packaging <laughs> for 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 people, you know. Yeah. But then it's interesting because you have some folks that view tarot as a form of fortune telling, and so that's why they distance themselves from it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And do, do you yeah. do you see yeah. it as that? Do I see it as fortune telling? Mm-hmm. Well, I think. Um, I think that there are people who use tarot cards who have those gifts, you know, like people who have taken the time to develop their, uh, you know, gifts like clairvoyance and, and, and other different psychic intuitive abilities. Like I believe in those things 100% and people have them and have taken the time to, you know, I know readers who, who, you know, post on social media, who, who have those gifts and have those abilities. Those aren't the gifts and abilities that I've, developed um and so that isn't how i use tarot cards but i i think it's really cool you know what i'm trying to say i think is that um it's both it you mm-hmm. know you can it, it depends on the person who it, tarot is the tool and then you know if i'm if i'm a psychic maybe i'm using the maybe i am using the tarot cards to to divine the future um ah. if I'm Jessica Dore, maybe i'm using the tarot cards to <laughs> uh create little doorways for people to walk through to explore and examine their questions about life and their issues from a different angle. Um, maybe I'm doing a little bit of both, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it really depends on the the practitioner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, That was such a splendid way of putting it because I've wondered for a while now if when teaching tarot, if it can be taught to like anyone or if there's like a prerequisite, if, if there was like a calling someone needs to have over their life to, you know, believe that tarot is their way. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of different opinions about that. I guess for me personally, I think I encourage anyone to use cards because, um, you know, I've, I have a little bit of, a little bit of experience using cards in like in clinical settings. I, when I was a graduate student, I used tarot cards in a, um, a eating disorder program that I was working in, like doing therapy, running therapy groups. And, we used cards in the group and people were having really amazing experiences with them, you know, mm-hmm. using the cards to um, understand themselves, understand their illness, understand recovery, understand some of their fears and their hopes. And, um, and, and some of them were people that had no prior knowledge of the cards. And, and I think that that's a perfect person. That's a perfect candidate to, yeah, you know, when you leave here, go grab a deck of cards. It'll cost you like 20, 25 bucks and pull cards, mm-hmm. you know, regularly and, and see what comes up for you. Use it as a tool to, to, to check in with yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I guess I feel, I guess I feel a little unqualified to be the person to say like, I definitely wouldn't be the one to say, no, you have to be called. You have to, you know, be some sort of like special, you know, something to, to use. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so, but, but yeah, I mean, like, I guess it all depends on how you're going to use them, you know, like, if right. like, I don't think, I don't think that just anybody should be doing fortune telling or divining with cards. I, I don't think that anybody should just be, I think it's disrespectful to people who really do have those gifts and really have done the work of developing and, and, and honing those gifts. It's not just a thing that you just decide one day, Oh, I'm a fortune teller, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's, I think that there should be a basic level of respect around, around that kind of thing. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that cultural appropriation can be 
can travel in all these different areas, um, especially as we're seeing, you know, uh, spirituality and self-care and wellness in general just go mainstream now, right? Yeah. So I think it's something to to be careful of. Uh, what I've noticed, but it may be differently since you're doing this um, more right on the ground, but women seem to really gravitate towards tarot mm-hmm. and not necessarily like, cis heterosexual men mm-hmm. maybe maybe i'm off but just from mm-hmm. my pov um if yeah. i'm not off why do you think that is and um do you see that changing interesting question um i think you're right i mean i'm thinking about my clientele and kind of you know who is most of the population that I work with, I would say that, you know, uh, cis men in general are, are fewer, um, Mm -hmm. who are coming to me to work with. Um, now maybe that's may, I don't know, maybe there's a, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't know why it is. Um, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. And I, and I I don't know, maybe it's, Maybe it's because when you are the one chosen to carry a child, like that is such an intimate play with magic, right? Like in your very own body, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where you're, yeah. you just are more open to the unknown because there's so much inside of you that is unknown, but that yeah. is happening nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think something like tarot, it's, it's a little bit in its current form. It's it's a little bit like anti-establishment. Like even people like me who are using it for mental health, it's like um, I don't do I don't practice therapy. I trained in, as a therapist in graduate school, but I'm not a therapist and I don't have a private therapy practice or work as a therapist in an agency. I I do tarot readings basically mm-hmm. um, and use information that I've learned and and stuff and and. Part of that is experiences that I've had and seen in the in the mental health field and things that I've heard and that people have shared with me, even in you know in spaces like Tarot Circle in um, West Philly, which is a group that I started with um, a couple of other people in Philly who are tarot readers and astrologers, and um, you know just some of the feedback and some of the things that you hear is that people are not having great experiences in like traditional mental health settings and and or in uh something like you know organized religion or some of these places where people will go to get healing um Mm -hmm. i think like women and femmes or like anybody that's not like a cis white man uh is not necessarily feeling comfortable in the the systems that are set up and so tarot is this uh, this alternative that oh okay cool like I can do this with myself. I can do it with my friends. I can do it with people that I trust and know, and we can do our own work, you know, uh, without having to engage with these systems that were not set up for us, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. women is an example, but it's, it's, you know, it's intersectional obviously. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think you're touching on something that's really important about, why yeah. things like tarot and astrology are becoming really popular and, and people are realizing, oh, wait a minute. Um, why why go into an environment where I'm going to be, uh, I don't know, potentially re-traumatized or gaslighted or blamed for my, pro- for my you know, uh, situation or misunderstood or... Um, just generally not feel safe when I could kind of do some of this work in my own community with people that I trust and feel safe with who look like me, who understand what my, what my experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying like, you know, throw the mental health system away at all. I, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there too, but I think, yeah, I think it's. Yo, that's okay. real. Yeah. That that's absolutely a, a subject that has not been touched on or we don't think of it because we're so 
happy that mental health is center stage that a lot of times we forget to further investigate and to now be like okay now that it's here we could still polish there's still room for improvement it doesn't mean that it comes here just perfectly packaged and presented yeah 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 huh thank you for that yeah especially as someone who went to school um, and studied all of this, but then realized that it was best suited through the tool of tarot. That's really fucking interesting. Okay. All right. So then that makes me think about dualities because you speak about that a lot in, in your post. Mm-hmm. Uh, what dualities do you think that, that you possess? Or should we not even be speaking about dualities anymore? Because maybe it's limiting just to think in terms of the number two. <laughs> Um, well, when you say what dualities do I possess, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you explain that question? Yeah, I can further elaborate. (laughs) So like things that can appear to be a contradiction, but like you've grown to welcome or to love, like for even for myself thinking, um, you know, for the majority of my life that I'm a woman. And so I'm only thinking in terms of my feminine side. I mean, I am a woman by sex, but when I think about gender and how that can be expressed mm-hmm. as I've gotten older and I've felt something that I can only call and feel comfortable calling a divine masculine, right? Mm-hmm. But then depending on the culture, depending on the generation, someone could look at me like I have fucking lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Or yeah. or even just like accepting that, OK, this this world, like the the fact that I find such thrill and joy in having this type of deep dive conversation with you. But probably later this evening, I'm going to fucking put I'm going to laugh at Cardi B's Instagram <laughs> and I'm going to die. And it's going to be a, a yeah. big belly cackle. Right. (laughs) And that those two existences can can coexist. Those two lifestyles can coexist. But, you know, uh, initially when I came into like when I found myself within this quote unquote wellness space and a lot of people started looking at me and and saying, wow, Tracy, you're helping me a lot. And you hear words like help and heal. And it made me feel like if I was dealing with my own bout of darkness, if I felt cloudy mentally, it wasn't allowed. Yeah, 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 it's a lot of pressure to- Right. It's an interesting experience to have when you're when you're somebody that, you know, you, I'm sure you get this all the time, like people kind of, you're an avatar, you know I mean? On social media, you, you I'd say that all the time about myself, like the Jessica Dore, the avatar, like on Twitter, it's like, it's not, it's a tiny sliver of, who I actually am, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was watching Real Housewives last night and I watch Real Housewives a lot. I really like that. <laughs> different ones. Like there's <laughs> a mm-hmm. New Jersey one because they're all Italians or most of them are Italian. I love that one, but I also love Atlanta. I love New York. I love the, um, which one was I watching last week? And then I finished the season. Uh, Beverly Hills, I think. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I, you bout it. <laughs> I am. I've been watching that show for since it came out. Yes. The Orange Army, I one. Um, yeah, like I'll I watched I'll be reading I'm reading this like seven hundred page book right now about Christian hermeticism. Um and it's like all this like really dense stuff about the major arcana, the twenty two major arcana in the tarot deck and um it's super like heady, super intellectual. I'm obsessed with it, I can't put it down. But I'll go from, I'll read that for an hour, 45 minutes, and then I'll put it down and I'll turn on Hulu and start watching, um, you know, like, <laughs> I don't right. know. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> whatever other stuff I'm watching. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all there's so many things. I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. I, I guess I would need to know, like, actually I had a, <laughs> somebody said to me one time, I said, um, I was going to New York and I was going to stay in a hotel and I was like, oh, I can't wait to go. I'm going to like watch TV. Like I can't wait mm-hmm. to watch TV because I don't have a TV. And um, my friend was like, do you know how to use it? Like, do you know how to, you, you watch TV? Like, do you know how to use a TV? And this is like a friend who I'm kind of like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, but I think my friend was like, oh, you're, you're like this, like 
I go to bed at like eight o'clock. I get up at four thirty-five. Like I'm mm-hmm. very, uh, I can appear to be very serious or very like spiritual or something, which like I am, but also I like to watch TV and like yeah. a very particular <laughs> type of TV, like that that kind of stuff, like reality TV on Bravo. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. No, it is. Good people are fascinating. I mean, I think that's why I like that show. Because yeah. the people in the show are fascinating. And their their stories are interesting. I mean, I don't know. I, I find that stuff interesting. Um, yeah, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why reality TV has become so popular. Because at, at some type of level, whether it's just... Um, at the surface or if it's deeper we just have an an interest in each other a fascination of each other because we need each other and we see parts of ourselves whether it's the obvious parts or the concealed parts the complicated parts or the simple parts we see them in other people yeah it's true it's true and you know i yeah i was thinking about it as well like i've been thinking a lot about um owning up to the parts of myself that um that like I wouldn't want anybody to know about me and one of the things and and, you know we all have those things right like you come into the world and you're sort of told right away like your family there are things that they like when you do it and there are things that they don't like when you do it and the things that they don't like you learn to conceal those things as much as possible to put them away they go into the you know, what becomes the shadow or the unconscious. Mm. And, you know, I think people think of shadow work. People talk about this thing called like shadow work a lot. And I think a lot of times people think that shadow work is, um, it's like just engaging with the parts of yourself, yourself that you don't like. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think what shadow is, is at least my understanding is, it's just anything that your, your environment mm-hmm. told you was not acceptable. Um, anything that your environment told you about yourself, like sexuality, um, you know, being, being a woman and being, se- and having sexual impulses and, and desire and drive, or, yeah, sometimes things that maybe aren't like valued in society, like, you know, wanting to have power or, or being greedy or being envious, you know, things like that too. But it's a lot of different things, uh, being rebellious or whatever anyway, but I've been thinking about that a lot and coming back to sort of the housewives and, and watching reality TV. I, I, I think sometimes I watch it I am interested in people, but I also think that sometimes I watch it because there's like, there's a, there's a part of me that feels some satisfaction of like, oh, I'm so intellectual. Like I would never spend all my time arguing about, I, I like use it as a way to like make myself feel superior or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been really noticing that. Like I, I, like I, I'm like, wow, you know, all these women are talking about is like drama all the time. And, and look at me, I'm so intellectual. I'm reading my intellectual books and I'm so smart and I'm so, like <laughs> and all they're talking about is you know their new bag and their this or that or whatever and like it's it, that is interesting to me too um and makes me think a little bit about like yeah just like social media or um you know like I don't know if I'm going too far off like uh, like on a deep end also here but like thinking about sort of like following people on social media that like you kind of don't really like, but you, you follow them anyway. Cause you, you like to judge the things that they do. I, I have done that. I caught myself doing it and I had to unfollow some people. Cause I was like, why am I, why do I like, what am I getting out of this? You know? Wow. Um, that's so real. Yeah. <laughs> that is yep. so real. Damn. Okay. Well, my psychoanalytical, analytical, contribution to that my theory I'm going to just throw in the pot is because we all are a little fucking crazy and Mm -hmm. that's because um perfection is an illusion (laughs) and so there Mm -hmm. has to be something that just keeps us on this zigzaggy wave but we we want to feel sane you know I, yeah. I think that's a part of what judgment is to just continue letting your, your ego feel, feel safe and safe is, I put that kind of like in air quotes because you, you're not completely safe and you might have, a, you might have a different opinion than me because I also, I have like these two, these like dual voices in my head right now who both have like contradicting statements. 
<laughs> but this first voice on the mic feels like we're not safe because there are no predictabilities. You know what I mean? There's no such thing as control. But yeah. judgment gives you a false sense of control because it allows you to put things into categories. Yeah. And so you can see. But then I'm like, the other part of me is, Tracy, you are safe, but this is more so based on my faith. I feel safe based on my faith where I don't need predictability to believe that there's always a positive outcome for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that would be the side of me that would then say, let's stop following this person because we don't need to judge them. Yeah. Like, yeah. like go in grace. Yeah. <laughs> and that's helpful for me to hear because exactly. It's a really helpful way to think about it. And it's, it's true. Like, yeah, trying to, I was reading this thing the other day um, and this person was saying like, yeah, like the mind just like, it, it wants to be right. The function of judgment is to like, for the mind to like feel right. Um, but like with what is true, you don't need to, you don't need judgment with what's true. You don't need judgment. You don't need with what's true. It doesn't need to be right or wrong. It's just, mm-hmm. it is, you know, and um, that kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're saying with mm-hmm. faith and with, you know, God, I, I, I think about God, but however people think about it, like the, you know, what's true, it's not available for, criticism judgment praise or any of that it just is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love that i feel that mm-hmm. okay well i'm curious i'm curious off the top what you believe i'm just gonna throw out different energies slash emotions and let me know what you've learned from it what have you learned from that energy of anger oh um that's a tough one um I'm like still, I'm trying to summon it. I think still, to be honest, I think, uh, I think what I've learned most recently is that it's, it's, um, it's hard for me to really, truly like with real anger, um, like not anger in like the secondary way. Like, you know how there's anger when like you're really, you're really hurt or you're really sad. So you get angry, like with real anger, like real deep anger, it's hard to go there, I find. Um, So I think what I'm learning about it is just like the elaborate and incredible ways that the the psychology, the structure of the psyche can, um, can kind of like repress emotions that are not socially acceptable. Um, I think that's a part of that shadow work for me. Anger is something that I don't access that easily, not in a sustained way. And, and um, yeah, <laughs> that's the best I have for you with anger. It's like a very peripheral like experience of it because I, I'll have to get back to you on that one after I've spent some more time with anger and really mm-hmm. sat with it and and learned how to use it because right now I I'm just trying to get to the point where I can really feel it and really bring it up um, and go there. That's real. It's hard. Yeah, that's real. What mm-hmm. about um, teachings from the energy of lust? I think about like compulsion. That's like what is coming up mm-hmm. from the word lust. Like, and I don't know why. And that's that's kind of interesting actually because. I think about compulsion as sort of a lack of control and a lack of like true authority. Like you, you know, compulsion is kind of like a, there's almost a violent, a violence to it. Like you do mm. without being able to, you're, you're possessed by something. And when I think about lust, I kind of think of that. And I, maybe, maybe that there is that compulsive connection for me with lust. And I think about that. I think that, there's also a lot of potential with lust for releasing control because compulsion is by nature. Like I said, it's not done. It's not something that's done with a, with any kind of authority. It's something that's done with a lack of control. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you work well with it uh, in a healthy way, there's a real, surrender that could happen i guess i don't know (laughs) i love it i love it i love it yes okay 
What do we learn from the energy of grief? Mm. Hmm. Also surrender. Um, Cause grief is not, even though I think we've really tried to, this is, you know, going back to that question of sort of what can't be known with science. Um, you know, the study of behavior and the study of psychology, I think people who are in that field have really tried to understand grief, have tried to sort of, you know, determine what are the stages and what does the timeline look like and and all of that as a way to help people who are experiencing it um, to normalize the experience. But I think at the end of the day, grief is something that you 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 acquiesce to ultimately you you really can't you're not you can have your timeline you can have your stages you can have your intellectual understanding of it but at the end of the day it's going to do what it's going to do um and so it is a it is a lesson in surrender um i'm looking at the wheel of fortune uh i have the wheel of fortune tarot card in front of me just Mm -hmm. because of I had pulled some cards last night and this is one of the cards that I pulled and the wheel of fortune, the symbol of the wheel of fortune is like, there's a person on top and there's a person on the bottom. And, uh, the kind of idea is that, yeah, you can be, you can be up here today and tomorrow you can be down here and you, and, and, and vice Mm. versa, of course, you know, and, and I think grief is like that too. It's like, it's just the wheel turns, you know, and you, you, you can be, Oh, Oh, it's, it's, I'm through it. It's over. But you no, you're not, <laughs> you don't, um, it doesn't work like that. It comes back around. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Deep, yeah. Lessons about life, deep lessons about the, the, the cycle and the turning wheel of life in grief, I think for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think to close it all off, what have we learned from the energy of love? Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's that's everything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, anger is love is an expression of love, and 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 it comes from something something being deeply loved and that love being being violated in some way, or you know, or or being obstructed in some way or or disturbed in some way and and grief comes from love and having loved deeply and lost or you know (laughs) all of this is all all of it is is under that umbrella um so it would be what have we learned from the energy of love it's it's the core energy that makes up all the other ones right right Um, it's the trunk and yeah. everything else is the branches. I want. I, I almost. I want to say like love is generative and constructive, not destructive. But that's not true. You know, like it's not like love and anger are are different. There's a the the law, the hermetic law, the law in, in hermeticism. Um, there's like these these laws of nature, and one of them is opposites are are opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. So if we think about love mm. and whatever the opposite of love might be. Um, some people say hate, some say indifference or whatever it is, but it's, they're they're really all are coming back to love. It is all love. So, yeah, (laughs) I don't know what the lesson is. Jessica Door. Yeah. (laughs) I fuck with you so hard. My girl, my grown woman, my spirit here. Sincerely, this was one of my favorite conversations, whether it was recorded or whether we were just meeting in a cafe. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I know this is the insert how marvelous my guest was here moment, but I mean, I did mindfully curate who I wanted to speak with all throughout the season. So shit, it is what it is. Let me pat myself on the back. Okay. If you're not already following Jess, she's at the Jessica Door. Door is spelled D-O-R-E on all platforms. And she pretty much pulls a card with a very thoughtful interpretation each day. So do not miss it. And 
And if you're even more invested in her, visit her site, jessicador.com, and you'll see she has offerings for workshops, for courses, tarot sessions, all led by her. And she's in book prep and mode, y'all, so be on the lookout for that as well. Now, for me, bottomless gratitude for lending me your ears, your attention. Thank you, Ferilio. Every single share, every review nurtures the podcast and honestly nurtures me as well. It means a tremendous amount. All right. So let me know what you think. I'm at It's Tracy G, I-T-S-T-R-A-C-Y-G on all social platforms. And if you rocked with this flavor of content, then my newsletter is for the sign up at She's Beauty and the Beast.com. You'll get a little pop up once you're on there and then you'll receive a bunch of my life musings. Yep. Do that. All right, fellow human. You stay honest. You stay hydrated and take good, good care of yourself. Until next time.